1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
0: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today we'll preview Fulham's game against the Seagulls on Saturday. Plus, We'll bask a little bit more in the glory, I think. of Fulham's 2-1 win at Old Trafford against Manchester United. What a weekend it was to be a Fulham fan. Also, we'll go through some of your emails, and we've got a little this will catch on at the end for you. I'm joined by the regular Thursday club today. Jack Collins, hello. Yeah, hello, Sammy. How you doing? Good, thank you. And in an athletic podcast booth somewhere is a Peter Rutzler. Hello,
1: yeah, yeah in london yeah i've made my own booth you know i go to paris <laughs> i'll just make a booth um hello hi everyone it's good to be back back on full-time duty after uh my uh other occupations for the last couple of months which has been fun uh i've been on been on jury service so that's been uh, a unique experience so uh yeah i'm free now um yeah
0: Free of the like, shackles. Like, well, yeah. Free of the welcome, shackles. Welcome home, sure. my friend. Yeah, welcome yeah. back, Peter. It's um it's lovely to to have you. I've never been called up for jury service, have you?
2: Yeah, it happened to me when I was at university, so I was able to just be like, nah, you're all right. Okay. And then I yeah, moved I moved away from it then and I've never been called up again. I think I'm also just still registered at my mum and dad's house for stuff. So like, if they (laughs) tried to summon me,
0: I don't think I'd be able to be. I don't think I'd be able to be found. I mean, people do listen to this podcast. We should maybe just shut up and get on with it. Um, Let's go back and look at Fulham's victory over Manchester. I don't. I don't want to give someone ideas um, if they're the people that select it uh, and they just happen to be Fulham fans. Don't do it. Uh, Right, let's. Go back and look at what was just an incredible, incredible Saturday uh, to be. How many people, Jack, have you had this week? I've had so many randoms get in touch and be like, good win on Saturday, Sammy. It just feels like everyone's come out of the woodwork. Yeah, it's been really
2: nice. It's been really nice. We've Well, I've got a lot of Liverpool fans. Coming at me and being like, "Oh, well done! You beat United," and they'll be like, "All right, well done! You beat Chelsea." I think there has been a bit of like a, a minor <laughs> love in there. Everyone be like, ah, "Cheers, done us a favour there." So, yeah, uh, Villa, Villa nice. also
0: are uh, you know they now love Fulham because we gave them three points and then uh, took three points off their main rivals for the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. We're
2: we're everyone's best friends now, apart from apart from United, apparently. But yeah, it, it's it been just nice.
1: Put- Villa owe Fulham quite a debt, you know. I mean, this is this is growing. You've got, you know, you got the the playoffs and sacking Gerard and all of that. You know, it's count them have up to cash that in at some point. Yeah,
2: exactly. Count them up. They they, they surely owe us like a John McGinn by now. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they must have a couple of players down the down the back of the sofa that we could have an Ezri Konsa. Yeah, like that. yeah.
2: Someone send send someone over to us. We we deserve it. We've earned it at this point.
0: Yeah, maybe we. You know, you know, I like towns get twinned. Oh, no, we're not twinning ourselves. We're going stop ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone too far. You're taking a step over the breach. I ruined it. I ruined it. Well, look, let's bask in the glory of Saturday. Um, and Peter, I wanted to start with your brilliant piece that you released mm. on The Athletic on Wednesday. How Fulham... Beat Manchester United after 21 years of trying. You got the screenshots out and you looked at actually how Marco Silva managed to accomplish this. Not just the fact that it's great to beat Manchester United at Old Trafford, but also to do this without Jaupelina, without Raul Jimenez, without Willian. It was actually a pretty extraordinary uh, bit of tactical genius from the genius that is Marco Silva.
1: Yeah. Um quite significant changes actually really in the context of what we see from Fulham. You know, we, we, we all know what Fulham do on, on a match day. It's very obvious what they do in terms of their build up in wide areas and uh look like Marco Silva and, and sitting down with his analysts and Antonius Lemonakis and, and, and uh, just come on and go, Well, let's just exploit that big massive space that exists in the United midfield. Um and that's exactly what they did and and, and they did it to to such good effect, you know. I think you know, speaking after the game, Silva sort of touched on what he did. And I mean, the real basic of it, basic gist of it was we'll play Alex Awobi inside. We'll play Andreas Pereira with a bit more freedom between the lines. Lukic and Reed can be the two players in build-up instead of just one and with Palina. Um And we'll be very narrow and we will exploit that space. We won't need to rely on Robinson's overlapping runs and, and Castagna on the other side. And and it worked so so effectively. Um, the number of chances created. Pereira had his best game for a long time. I felt. Um, of course, Wobi was was brilliant um, and and got that goal that that winning goal. Probably could have had a couple earlier in the game actually. Um, and of course, you know Rodrigo Muniz in attack. Um, it was just been a, it's, a, it's a revelation really the the way he's performing and. Again, absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's his strength. It's all-round play. You know the chance he created where he, I think he he turns Lindelof, doesn't he? It's just so easy. It was reminiscent of that that shot he had at Stoke where he scored a bit further out this time, but just managed to generate a load of power on that shot. And um, yeah, his all-round game um, has been excellent. And I think that's 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 what made the difference, really. I mean, United, um, I said this to Carl to, to Anker, who was sitting next to me, covers United for us. I said, you're just a burger without any meat in it in midfield. And um, it was quite remarkable, especially when you're seeing a pitch that big, right? And you just see Casemiro just sort of stuck in it, like in treacle because there's so much space around him. And then in the second half, it was Ericsson. It was just like, oh my goodness. Um, and Fulham, you know, took full, full advantage of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jack, it was just... Mesmerite. You know, the fact is is that we were all celebrating because it was a 97th minute winner. is this should have been a bit like when Bournemouth went to Old Trafford. This should actually probably we should be talking here about a a 4-1 to Fulham. Not actually, you know, it was amazing the way it happened and it was so exciting. But this actually shouldn't have been 2-1. This should have been 3-0. Yeah, for 85 minutes of the game, there was one team in this, and and it was
2: Fulham. And this is the thing, and You know, kind of from the opposite perspective, United had, what, won four of the last four in the league. They'd gone and done the tricky away trips, the Villas, the Wolves, and they come back home against a Fulham side that have won once all season away from home. And you're kind of sitting there going, "Okay, we haven't seen a particularly brilliant United in recent weeks, but they've had enough to get the job done. And you're kind of watching this game thinking, How? Because if this team is this reliant on Rasmus Hoyland being its only source of goals, how have they been able to cope throughout the course of the season? Because Fulham were magic. And the midfield in particular, as kind of Peter points out in his really brilliant piece, I, I texted Peter to tell him how much I liked it. That's how, that's how good I found it. I really enjoyed myself. But, Beautiful you know, we man. talked about it in last week's podcast when we were previewing this game, how you replace Polinia in and out of possession. And I thought Lukic and Reed did a glorious job. Finally, Sasa Lukic
0: came into this team after only about a year and a bit of you calling for Sasa Lukic to do something. Well, it's, it's kind
2: of like when he starts. Every time Sasha starts, he tends to be pretty good. When Sasha comes off the bench, I don't know what happens, but he physically can't get up to speed with the game or whatever it is. But when Sasha comes off the bench, he struggles. And this was a performance of, of the highest order from both of them. In fact, I mean, it was a performance of the highest order from most players on the team. You'd struggle to find a Fulham player that had a bad game. But in particular, I thought the combinations between Reed and Lukic in the middle, and I was watching a couple of United things to kind of see what the perspective on it was from, from the other end. And I was watching Flex on, on DR Sports, and he basically was like, we made Harrison Reed look like Pirlo." And I was like, that's a strange comparison. That's, I've heard Harrison Reed compared to lots of famous old-school footballers, but I don't think Andrea Pirlo has ever been one of them. <laughs> but it was just the way he was popping into the pockets and just making the triangles tick in the middle. And there were so many bodies, as you know, as that kind of narrowness of Fulham's structure pointed out, that we were just able to knock off those triangles and play through the United press as if it was non-existent. Now, they didn't help themselves. Casemiro, I hate to use the word washed, but like it really does feel like... His legs have gone. They just—he he physically can't move around the pitch, and you could see almost immediately. Awobi and Pereira go. Oh, we're going to be able to get to him. We're going to be get to him, and you see the chances that Awobi takes. There's one, obviously, where he knocks it wide in the first half. There's another one where he gets a shot away and it's saved. There's a Mooney's chance where he does really well as well, and all of it. You're like, how is it this much galloping open space in the middle of the park? I thought Marcus Silva took advantage of it perfectly, and that's the key, advi- you know, the key advantage of a manager who's able to adapt and change his system to suit the situation. And one that, as soon as one key player was knocked out, was unable to react to the situation. And look, Marcus Silva deserves all the praise in the world.
1: I like how um, it won't be. Before- I think there was an interview with the club, right? And he's asked about the United game. And uh, he goes, oh, there's so much space at Old Trafford. (laughs) It was almost like, you know, the pitch is massive. And I I think... Ordinarily, think, oh, ah, yeah, it's a big pitch, but then actually, when you watch the game, it was almost a hint about what was what was on the cards. Really, the amount of space they were expecting, and and then we saw it play out, and you know you took full advantage, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I swear, there's not actually that much between Premier League pitches. A lot of it's like perception, isn't there? When you actually look at the dimensions, I know some, like a lot of yeah, people, a couple say, of meters
2: is a lot of a lot of space when you're actually when yeah. you're actually on it. I suppose,
0: <laughs> yeah. um As I say, I'm not a professional footballer, so I wouldn't know. Um Peter, one. Um, point that you picked up on in your piece was that actually if you look at Calvin Bassey and Alex Iwobi's consecutive games when they started, it's looking pretty good. A 2-1 win over Arsenal and a 2-1 win over Manchester United. They have now become so vital, both of them. Um, particularly for me, Bassey, I just when he plays, we just look like a different animal.
1: Yeah, he's 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 adapted really, really well. I, th- I think the, the key thing with those two I felt was the way they've just responded after AFCON because, you know, it's less than two weeks since uh, or around two weeks since the, since the final. Um, I mean, that's such a massive deal, you know, to to, to lose a continental final, to lose, you know, when you're so close to the trophy and you're carrying the weight of a nation on your shoulders. And, um, and of course, in particular with Alex Wobie with the, the horrible abuse, he then suffered afterwards. Um, to be reintegrated this quickly and to just pick get back up to speed so swiftly is it, I think is another example again of good management, right? It's it's putting them into the right environment. You know, his teammates obviously as well playing a big part in in, in for for both of them just getting around them and, and getting them up to speed. And it looks like they've just picked up exactly where they've left off, which was that that win over Arsenal. Um, I think in a case, I think we've he's been really consistent I think ever since he signed um, playing uh, regardless of his positions as well you know he's it's not like he's just played in one set role he's actually yeah. played across the front line hasn't he? he's played on the left as he did at Old Trafford uh, in the middle on the right um, I, you know I think he probably suffered a lot because of that when he was at Arsenal um, or at least not finding his right position and when he found his right position at Everton he, he kicked on and did really well but now it seems like Fulham are getting a lot out of him wherever they play him um, and that that comes down to organisation and instruction and him feeling confident in the system and, and Bassi, you know it was difficult for him wasn't it because of the games he was thrown in into at the start on the right side of defence yeah. you know, adapting to the Premier League for the first time and I mean that's that's tough that's a real baptism of fire but when he's on the left-hand side, you know, we can see the quality he's got and and what he adds in terms of his dynamism and, and how solid both he and Tosin were as a, as a pairing at the back. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've been fantastic additions, haven't they? Um, they were the big money signings last summer and, and both of them have been, have been excellent.
2: Just on the centre-back partnership, I, I thought it was telling that... Marcus in, Marcus Rashford looked disinterested by 15 minutes in because they didn't give him a sniff. Now, part of this was United not being able to get the ball to him, but any time it did get near him, one of the two of them would be like, nope, see you later. And off and off Matt Fulham would go again. And that's disheartening for a player, especially if they've been moved into an unfamiliar position somewhere where they haven't been great. And there is that kind of sort of Damocles hanging over them from the fan base anyway, where there's a big debate over, you know, and we're not going to go into it, we're not, we're not a Man United podcast, but the way you can quiet in a crowd and then also make a player be like, well, just what's the point? I've not got any support, I've not got any service. And anytime time the ball, I, you know, I would get a lucky bounce or, or something happens, I'm being completely shut off by these two centre-backs. Uh, I thought it was that kind of performance where it's, it's so dominant that it felt like there was never ever going to be any chance of, of Rashford bringing United into the game. There there are other places where you could go, okay, you can maybe get joy here. That was never one of them.
0: Yeah. And um, Peter, uh, the final bit in your, uh, the kind of final section of, of your article, uh, go read it, The Athletic, go read the full thing. Um, Adama Traore, uh, the wild card, you called him. And I am loving this wild card. I want us to play it every game. It's just so much fun. He makes me enjoy football. He makes me get off the edge of my seat. I just... And the fact that actually this time, finally, something productive came of the Adama Triore wild card was just hugely uh, exciting to see. I also... I don't know if any of you noticed this. um, uh, Fulham posted... um, and all the angles of of Wobe's goal and so it's basically just a Wobe's goal on repeat about 10 times I've watched it 10 times um and there's a united fan that gets picked up on the camera saying um get him maguire get him harry <laughs> something like that harry gets nowhere near him <laughs>
1: <laughs> have you have you seen the there's a clip as well of Garnacho looking over to the bench when thrower is coming on and yes. he just goes FNL, <laughs> yeah, very enjoyable. <laughs> like, what other player in in the Premier League can do that? He's I absolutely love watching him. I, really- I love, actually, when you see him, when you see him getting ready, you think yes, because it's just excitement, right? You just know exactly what he's going to bring. He's going to definitely, he's gonna definitely going to sprint at some point, and it's going to be amazing. Like it's just so pure, right? So raw. Like man is faster than all other men. It's great to watch in in the flesh. And yeah, as you said, Sammy, you know he actually delivered here and got that final third bit it was Villa uh, he had that chance to to level the game didn't he Yeah. yeah. and then of course that sprint uh, at the Emirates where he out ran Saliba (laughs) um, to go one-on-one to win the game and and didn't quite there but yeah kept his composure and and when he does that I mean it's just such a great option to have like it's especially you know against it was Lindelof wasn't it uh, left back for United you think okay he's he's in a bit of bother here especially it was just perfect for that scenario wasn't it because mm. United had just turned into chaos I mean their goal was just Harry Maguire just literally bundling around in the penalty area and then it just keeps sticking and then he knocks <laughs> one in Uh the game was wide open so much space and it just just needed one sprint uh, just one sprint and uh, yeah what a bloody sprint I just
2: have this, this vision of someone dubbing over the old quote, It is like Lindelof turning to Maguire as Adama's being ready to be like, there's a storm coming, Harry. We all best be ready when she does. I, yeah, that's exactly the scene. I mean, look, third time lucky for Adama, but yeah, exactly. This is the the unleashable weapon. If he's fit and firing, being able to do this, even if it's a 10, 15 minutes a game, is just one of those things that, And and look, Ali Gardner Hatcher was almost certainly every United fan, but oh, for God's sake. Like, like, (laughs) really? It has to do with this? In this kind of weird, mad, chaotic game where space is everywhere, where they've run through us at will? They're going to throw in the fastest man in the Premier League. Okay, cool. No worries. No bother. We'll just leave it at that, I suppose. Let's just (laughs) call it here.
0: I'm slightly interested, Peter, and I don't know if you have any insight on this, but. uh, Tom Kearney said it in like a sponsored video, but also I listened to, and actually I'd really encourage any Fulham fans to listen. So Tom Kearney's been appearing on the the Players Channel um, and it's the Footballers Football Podcast. So it used to be Mikel Antonio and Callum Wilson, but Callum Wilson's not doing it anymore. And Tom Kearney's now done, I think, three or four uh, in a row. And um, it's a guy that hosts it called Ricky Hayward-Williams, who actually is someone I used to work with um, really closely um, at, at another job that I did. And it, I, honestly... I used to enjoy this podcast, but particularly since Kenny's on there, I've been listening to um, to every one. Go check it out because I actually think Tom's brilliant on it. But one thing, Very good on Sky as well. He was a pundit last oh, night. Oh, he's so he's so tailor made for that role. I really enjoy it? it. I think he's doing a great job. that, yeah, TC. Yeah, well done, TC. But one thing he said, uh, the question came up from a listener, and they said, "Oh, who's the?" Um kind of like person that's been fined most at your club or whatever. And so I think Mikel Antonio very um, diplomatically swerved, effectively trying to say Kurt Zuma, um for everything that happened there. But um, Tom Kearney... Went out on a limb again and said, oh, yeah, dharma has been fined a lot. A lot of late fines for dharma. And I'm just trying to work out, Peter, if this is a kind of like endearing, like, oh, dharma, he's always late. Or if this is like, who is this bloke? He just keeps turning up late and he's really annoying. I can't work out. Like. The physio doesn't know when to come in anymore because yeah. Adama <laughs> keeps turning up late. <laughs> is, is, do you think it's a bit more the former at the moment, Peter, of like, oh, it's dharma, He's OK. He's fine. He just comes in late.
1: Yeah, it's generally quite a good group at Fulham Powell accounts. So I guess it's more on the endearing side, but he said it a couple of times, doesn't he? Because I've seen it, I saw it previously when he, when he mentioned it. it was like a one, two, three. And it was, all, I think it was Ty Francois and Willian at the same time, all said the same name. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a theme. It's definitely been picked up on, hasn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, if he keeps doing things like, I guess, I guess with all players, if you keep delivering on the pitch and you keep, yeah. Putting in assists. So for the he last like, I only
2: play ten minutes at the end of games. I don't need as much training as the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of you are playing nineties regularly. Because like, I only come on at the end.
1: I think the tricky thing for him, obviously he's had these hamstring issues um, which have kept him out. And you know, i a amount of people who would tweet being like, Oh, where's a Is a dharma out? Is he is he back? Does he exist? That kind of thing. Um he's obviously he came back briefly for the villa game away, if I remember rightly. And yeah. then basically had a setback with the same injury so it's not been that easy to, to really settle in and find any kind of rhythm at Fulham um, so far and you just hope that when you get a moment like you do at Old Trafford that that I can sort of build a bond with the club you've signed for you know because it's, it's just not really been visible so um, in the same way that that probably applies to, to, to Lukic as well
0: Alright well we'll, uh, we'll take a break there afterwards we'll look ahead to Fulham's next game which is against Brighton on Saturday Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Thank you very much to Green King Sport for backing the Thursday club this season. If you want to go watch any televised sports, head to your local Green King sports pub. That could be football. It could be the Rugby Six Nations. Not that I've got very much interest in that anymore as an England fan, but Jack uh, certainly does as a, as a Grand Slam chasing Ireland fan. Uh, also, the F1 is back this weekend. The Bahrain Grand Prix is on Saturday. Annoyingly, pretty much the same time as the Fulham game. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, fuming about that. But... Um, Keep it on a Sunday. Um, and also this weekend, uh, the Manchester Derby uh, on Sunday at 3.30. Fulham not on the telly, but if you want to you know, get a bit of a loose end on Sunday and you want to go watch the, the Manchester Derby, head to your local Green King Sport pub. It'll be on there. And on one of their big HD TVs. Plus you can get 10% off your drinks with the Green King Sports app during any televised sporting event. Right, let's look ahead then to Brighton on Saturday. And Jack... Brighton is a team, if you think that Man United has been a team that's definitely had our number up until Saturday in recent years, Brighton just seems to be one of those that they're a very, very good team. We just do seem to do okay against them. I'm hoping we can keep that going on Saturday.
2: Yeah, well, the, the the polar, we're, we hit the magnets, haven't we? The yeah. magnets have switched. We're yeah. now going to we're now gonna get thumped by Brighton considering we've beaten Manchester United. Look, it's uh, I, I think this is a winnable game. And although Brighton are excellent, and there's no doubting that, and they have impressed again this season, building on and losing some key players, lost in time midfield last summer in in Alexis and Moises Caicedo. They've been able to kick on again. They've been very good in Europe, a little bit less so in the Premier League. But they're still up there chasing those European spots and they're still in that conversation. So I think the Zerbi's doing a very, very good job there. What's interesting, though, is that obviously they play tonight as we're recording this against Wolves in the FA Cup. We've just seen Karamatoma out for the season, sadly, with, with an injury that's going to keep him out. Evan Ferguson is missing for this game. There's It's going to be a touch and go whether he returns to the side. There's a couple more injuries as well. We're at a space now where this Brighton side are not running on fumes. But I think if you rack that injury list up against any of the you know teams that I talked about with huge injury crises, there wouldn't be much in it. And so we're we're talking about a squad that is a little bit light, have to play three days before us. We get a full week's rest after a massive result at home. Fulham should be absolutely looking at this as winnable. And, you know, that's before the fact that Brighton sides have tended to struggle at the Cottage in, in recent years. That's not to say that this will definitely be a game that Fulham win. I'm not coming into it being like, oh, three points are the necessity. But we're now at a kind of strange point where... You know, Liverpool winning the Carabao Cup at the weekend potentially means that European places could go all the way down to eighth. We're six points behind Wolves and seven behind West Ham after the action on Monday night. There is an outside chance. It remains, a, you know, a deeply outside chance. I'm not suggesting that this is going to be, oh, if we don't get there, then it's a problem. But there remains now an outside chance at Fulham with a late push, with all these players coming back from injuries, from suspensions, from international duty, might be able, and with the pressure off as well, because the gap is now so you know clean, I think, to the relegation zone, especially with the fact that we think Forrest and Everton will have further points penalties to come. It's almost like, OK, we'll go and have a go at it and see what happens. And I think that's quite an exciting place to be for a Fulham side that now has what well, it feels like a wealth of attacking riches in the right kind of areas starting to come good at the right time
0: yeah and there's basically only one relegation spot left considering that there's 19 points uh, for burnley and sheffield united to uh, to make up i mean um Peter, Brighton, as as Jack mentioned, got some some absences. Billy Gilmore to add to that as well, because obviously he picked up a, a red card against Everton. And, and Brighton's form's been a bit strange, Peter, if you look at their recent results, because they've got some like outstanding results in there. Like they went to Bramall Lane and won 5-0. They beat Palace 4-1, which is obviously a huge game um, for them. But actually, they've conceded a lot of goals. This year, An awful lot of goals. I mean, much was made of the fact that pretty much every game Brighton both teams to score was the most solid bets in the entire Premier League. Um, They just don't seem to have that kind of edge that they had last year. When Fulham went to Brighton and won, it was a massive, massive shock. But I think if Fulham won this weekend, it would be nowhere near as big a shock.
1: Yeah, they're much, I was going to say the word looser, but they're not as... um... Controlling, I think, as they were last year, and I think injuries in Europe plays the part in that. You know, I think yeah. the, the disruption and rotation—you can't prepare with the same amount of time or, or detail as you would ordinarily. You need to rely on more of your squad, and I think we're we're seeing sort of the the impact of that. Um, the Gilmore thing's interesting because you know, as Jack said. You know, they lost their two starting midfielders this year. Gilmore has sort of become that, or him and Pascal Gross next to each other have formed quite a good partnership. Um, so that's now been disrupted. So yeah, I, I, you're right, Sammy. I don't I don't think it would be um a, a shock for, for for Fulham to win, regardless of, you know, Fulham's recent results against him. It was six points last year, wasn't it? So um they're just—they're not quite the same team at the moment. But the thing is, we we all know what they're capable of when they do show up, and and their results really do reflect it, don't they? You know, five against Sheffield United, um, four-one against Palace. That's not an easy game to do that. But it's only two wins this year. I think there's been this sort of particularly, since, you know, they good—they had a good start, but it's just they found the winter period quite testing. Mm-hmm. Um you know they'll have an eye on the trip to to Rome next week. Yeah, massive. Um, which is a huge game for them, as, as you'd expect. Knockout European football. Um, yeah, they, they've not hit the same heights really, um, but yeah, they've still got quality in in, in their team. We, we we've seen that week in week out. So, um, I guess the real question is how Fulham sort of set set up for it, um, and how and how they sort of adapt post united um to a different game a home game do do fulham revert back to what worked before do they keep the, the same sort of setup um particularly if say william does become available because i think that would be quite an interesting question if you want to do things out wide or whether you want to 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 sort of maintain that sort of narrow focus uh, as well
2: i think it's probably a uh, somewhere in the middle right i i think that when we're looking at what fulham will set up like Can you imagine him making huge amounts of changes from a team that played so well, not just one at Old Trafford, but played so well at Old Trafford? I think you'd struggle to make loads of changes from that side. So I think that the personnel might be pretty similar in terms of what we see here. What I think he might do is just ask for a little bit more width from those fullbacks. And, Mm. you know, obviously there's, we just talked about Brighton's midfield and maybe being able to dominate those spaces as well. But there's equally a chance that Brighton go, OK, if we're going to be a little bit more open in midfield, we go three at the back. Someone else comes back in to, to go alongside Duncan Van Hecker. And if that happens, then obviously you need to try and find that width from, from wing-backs or full-backs in our case, trying to get round their wing-backs and, and and kind of ask a little bit more there. So I think Fulham will be a little bit reactive. I can imagine the eleven being exactly the same as what it was against Manchester United. But just with an eye on being like, okay, we're not going to know how Brighton set up until an hour beforehand. At that point, we kind of play the strategy a little bit differently depending on what we think that their shape is going to look like in real time. And look, we just talked about adaptability and being able to react to situations. I trust Marcus over to get that right. Mm-hmm. So we're in a a nice space in in that space in that they will be chopping and changing, not only with a busy fixture schedule, but also with the players that are being forced in and out of the side. As opposed to us who can go, okay right, we know what the 11 is. All we need to decide in that hour beforehand is which of our strategies we're going to utilise to try and open up this Brighton side. And that's a nice place to be for Marco Silva and for Fulham.
0: I mean, I guess I just wondered, Peter, does TC come back in? It's a home game. He didn't start at Old Trafford. But then you alluded to in your piece that the combination of Reed and Lukic was able to kind of recreate Polina in the aggregate, wasn't yeah, it? There um, he is. There's uh... <laughs> a reference. <laughs> um, that it was just, I wonder if, like, actually you can't put Kearney in because Reed and Lukic effectively are doing. What you miss when you don't have Zhao and you're at the base of midfield?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I think with Reed and Lukic, the way it worked at Old Trafford, you had Reed being a bit more conservative than than normal. I think both Lukic and, and Lukic was as well. But the way they they pressed was still quite aggressive. Um, it, you know, they need well, they, they could do that. You know, they screened really well. You had Pereira and Muniz as the two up top, just stopping any. Any passes, easy passes into the middle. United couldn't build up in wide areas because they didn't have Luke Shaw, and they're just not good enough in those areas. And you just had Fernandes, and I think it was later McTominay who came on, just just not involved in the game, and Maneude just not physical enough yet. So they were able to stay on top of that. I think with the difference, I think with the home game as well, because how Palina, you know, say Palina takes the ball off the the back line, he, he can he does cover a lot of spaces. That was the thing that Marco Silva said afterwards. Now, Reed and Lukic together can, can do that. Lukic isn't really the type of player who can cover that ground to make a massive slide tackle, if if that makes sense. He yeah. can cover the ground, but that's not his. With the that's ball, not, really not his without game. it. Yes, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Actually, um, Reed Reed can do that, but he doesn't have the same sort of physical presence um, as as Polina does, or, or indeed, actually, with Lukic. And I just wonder because when Lukic drops in as the six. He's, he hasn't been, I don't think, as strong in terms of protecting the ball, I think, in my opinion. Uh, I think United was the first time where I felt, okay, actually, it's almost like he, the way he started that game, it was like, I've got a point to prove here in this specific area of my game. Um, it was almost like the the end of Villa where he gets his yellow card. It's like, right, I need to, I need to show I can do this. Um, obviously, mistimed it and got booked in that game. But with United, I think after minute and a half I think he goes flying into is it Casemiro I think yeah I think it was uh, and, and regains possession it was a perfect turnover and he did that so many times during the game um, so I do, I do wonder whether that might be a cause to change things up a little bit because um, you, you, what you don't want and I think what Fulham will want to avoid is get is Lukic being isolated in the six what worked quite well is that he had his mid Fulham were more compact right so you had Reed being quite compact next to him and helped I think and Brighton aren't going to be as tactically open as 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 United will be so uh, but does that does that bring Tom Kearney and that's the interesting that's really interesting I think Um, Pereira had a really free role so rather than whereas Kearney would be on the left say would go over to the left and combine with Robinson and say it's Willian or or Iwobi it wasn't really like that um, at Old Trafford at all it was you know Pereira was almost Anywhere he wanted to be, Woby was more central, mm. and there was just nothing, nothing on the on the left. And Robinson could cover it if he needed to, but didn't have to do that very much. So if you bring Kenny and you you bring back that structure, don't you? You bring back a, a wider midfield structure. So, and I, as Jack said, there's positives and negatives to that. And I think you know Fulham's most effective way of playing is getting Robinson through, isn't it? I think that
2: that is the kind of thing that really sets up your fear there. I think bringing Kearney back in isolates Lukic in the six. So when you come to that kind of point and you're looking at how do you not make that happen, you have to play him alongside another player in the pivot. Whereas, and look, Marco said it afterwards, he's like normally you play one defensive midfielder and two in front of him, which I thought was an interesting way of him discussing how he's utilised Tom Kearney this year. Because I think Mm -hmm. most of us would... Pitcher Silverside, and I think most people generally, you know, as a four-two-three-one, but clearly that's not quite how he's seeing it, because you know this felt very much like two at the base, and he—that's what he said. So when you're kind of looking at if you bring Tom Kenny back in instead of a Reed or a Lukic, you are effectively going back to a one at the base position in midfield, but is that going to work quite the same way? in this game as it did in the last, I, I don't know, but I don't think that if that happens, I think it's Harrison Reed that keeps his spot, not Lukic, because as you say, you don't want him as the solo pivot in that exact space.
1: Yeah. And you think about the way Kenny's played for Fulham this year. He's, he's actually played a much deeper role on the left. And that's because the left eight, which is where he'll play yeah. in that triangle, will drop into almost the fullback position. You'll see Pereira do it on the right. We see Iwobi do it on the right. Um, and, you know, I think Pereira does it less when he's on the left, which might make him more influential in the final third, actually. But um, that, as you say, means Kearney's the closest one to Lukic, or it'll be Pereira on that side will be closest to Lukic. And that's not as solid, I think. And that's probably why Reed gets the, gets the shoe in. And I think, you know, the other question is, you know, does Pereira drop out? Well, I think the one thing Pereira does a lot, and I know his his, his offensive output hasn't been... I don't think he's been as effective as last year so far, but his off-ball work is clearly valued. Yeah, it's magnificent. He's, he triggers the press. He is the first line. You know, alongside Mooners, it's it's him who's doing that. Like he covers so much ground, um, and I think that tactical element will probably give him the edge in that position. So, he, I, I guess, long story short, he, he, I can imagine there isn't a reshuffle in midfield.
0: Yeah, and and you just thought with that uh, Ann coming back, but. You know, a Wobie can do such a good job on that left hand side. Like, why rush him back?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Also, you know, if you need something, then you can bring William off the bench. And um, Peter's spot on. You can criticize loads of stuff about Andreas Pereira's game if, if you are so inclined. His productivity levels, you know, hitting the bar from every single free kick he's ever taken. Um, but you can't criticize ever his work rate. There has never been a game where I've watched Pereira and gone, oh, He's not putting it in today. He's not putting the shift in. There are times where the quality hasn't been there, but you never, ever, ever criticise him from a perspective of what he's putting in and leaving on the pitch.
0: No, if you watch it, if you ever, you know, home game or whatever, I remember watching particularly, there was a moment in like the second half where I watched just when Villa had the ball and like often it went to Pal Torres on the left-hand side and Andreas Pereira just does not stop kind of going between defenders, really working hard yeah. off the ball. You can see why Marco Silva wants him in the lineup. It must just be frustrating for Marco. You was like, if you just like, had a slightly better decision-making or... I, I actually do think often it is decision making with him when he's on the ball. He'd be he'd be such a force.
1: Yeah, I'd also add that he's been playing a lot more on the right this season compared to last year. Last year it was just the same left, wasn't it? Pereira, Willian, Robinson as a free. Um, Kenny's obviously come in and Pereira's moved to the right. I'm, I wouldn't say Pereira's not comfortable there, but I don't think he's been as effective in that position.
2: You don't get the My, jet heels quite as much. Um, no. He doesn't. He doesn't sort of send a send a defender and off he goes. I think it's interesting, though. Obviously, you look at the two number 10s, if you will, in inverted commas, less so, I suppose, but at the weekend, and, you know, one of these players was released by Manchester United, and one of them, they put the faith in to build an entire squad around, and Pereira was far and away the better player. One, he didn't spend most of his time rolling around on the deck, Um, but two, you know, the, the link-up play, the work rate, all of it, and, and perhaps at the very, very top level, work rate alone isn't enough. And maybe that's why it came down to it that Pareda didn't succeed at Manchester United. But I think we often talk about players, like if you're, if you're not having a good game, if you're struggling to get yourself right, if your passes aren't coming off, your little flicks aren't working, especially in that kind of role, if you still put in your shift till the end and you make sure that, you know, you're, the last thing that anyone could ever criticise is your running, your pressing, your work rate, people will love you. And that's why I always almost always advocate that Pareda should be within a, within a Fulham unit, unless it's a Woby that comes into the 10, in which case you get that as
1: well. Sometimes with a little bit more. Yeah. That's the thing because a Wobi can do that role, can't he? So yeah, exactly. that'll, that'll be interesting to see if he does at some point.
0: And just, uh, finally on, uh, on who starts, there's no debate now, is there? It's old, it's old Rodrigo up front. No debate. Um, no debate at all. I mean, Peter, we've got 12 games left of the season. Um, Apparently, uh, according to, to your report, although you didn't have it confirmed, but I think you were fairly sure, uh, uh, Amando Breuer needs to start 10 plus in order to uh, save the fee. I mean, it's probably just going to happen at this point, isn't it? We're going to have to pay the money.
1: Money well spent,
0: would not it?
2: Best four, million, best four million full of spent in the market in years. I
1: mean, it's, just, it's basically transformed Muniz's value by four. So that's probably and, the... And
2: yeah. the rest. And the rest. <laughs> yeah. I, I would like to see Breuer get on. Like, I will add this, and look, as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's his spot until something changes in that he either has a, a poor game or Borussia comes on and is like absolutely unbelievable. They, those are the two things that could change, it could shift this a little bit. But, I mean, there's no sign of either of them at the moment. So, um, for now, big
1: big R9 up top. He has been excellent. I know I said at the start of the podcast, but just his all round game, everything. It's just, it's confidence, isn't it? It's just like with Jimenez score a goal and suddenly it's, you know, I feel like I belong in this team and can perform and people believe in you. Like there was a, one of the attacks, I think, where Castagna picks up the ball in the right back position. And I, I don't really envisage Fulham doing this very much. I can't really remember Fulham doing this, particularly this season, but they would always do it with Mitrovic, just going along, just hitting him, just going straight direct. And that one pass. I Muniz mean, beats Varane in the air. Varane had a terrible afternoon. Um, knocks it down and Woby runs onto it and you know, maybe should have scored, actually. Um, but it's that kind of thing, that confidence, those sort of moments in games where you say, actually, do you know what, everyone... It's the same with with Jimenez earlier in the season as well. Actually, do you know what, I back him to do this. I can hit it. I know if I put it in that direction, he's going to make something of it and he's, he's doing that really well. And I'm pleased for him because, you know, he, had, he must have had such a terrible time at, at Middlesbrough last season. You know, he yeah. spent, what, three... Three months or more, not even in the squad. So you're training, not playing in the northeast of England. You know you're you're learning English. You know you're away from home. Once removed because your home is Fulham, and you know loads of you've got a nice social group there at Fulham. I mean, we can see the the Luciphone speakers, as I should say, Jack, um, within the group. And I, to come back to 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 get this chance, and I think you know when you're looking at you know the team, everyone's crying out for a striker and you see you arrive and then you get this one chance it was just like the Man United game at home it felt like that one chance and he went off in tears didn't he because he got that knee injury yeah and then you know goes to a turf more and we saw that emotional reaction to his goal but that's because it was that you know it was real sliding doors wasn't it but he, he took it and, and with you know Fulham, uh, Fulham are reaping the benefits from it
0: yeah hasn't looked back since yeah got old Rodrigo Muniz keeping uh I mean, he's keeping the dream alive, isn't he? It's honestly amazing to see, and uh, I'm I'm fascinated by these rumours linking him and Pereira. In fairness, with the uh, with the Brazil squad for the March internationals, yeah, I think
2: I think that might be a stretch too far. But uh, <laughs> look, you never know; weirder things have happened. Harrison resigned. Reason... <laughs>
0: I can't wait for the March International break. You're going to see Harrison Reid <laughs> play for England and Rodrigo Moon is per Money is up top for Brazil and the Seleção. Unbelievable. Honestly, I'll pay all the I'll, I'll fly over to South America to cover it for Fulhamish. I'll loosely base it as an expense uh, just for all of us to... Uh... <laughs> I think there'll be a couple of people fighting you for that flight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might also um, use uh, all of the Green King money and quite a lot more. Uh, right, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll answer some of your emails. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. This will catch on in a moment. It's been great to have that back in our lives. Um, Peter, honestly, he's been bugging me every week. He's texting me saying, Sammy, I'm really missing this will catch on. I've been doing jury service. I just... Some light in his life. Yeah, he's just, he's just, he's really missed it. And, you know, I'm I'm glad that he gets to have his fix today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he says nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah well... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave confirmation of whether that's true or not to the, the public.
0: Uh, some emails before that. Tim Lundy says, Hi, Fulhamish. After another ludicrous team of the week from Garth Crooks on BBC Sport.
1: <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, still it, though, going. Man. <laughs> that's still going. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. Great right. right. Mooney's on the wing the other day. Which routinely
0: overlooks Fulham players and this week includes Bassi, but uses that as an opportunity to talk only about Man United. Do you think that it is a benefit that Fulham are consistently treated as making up the numbers? As frustrating as it can be, does it help us hang on to some of our players and manager and also take the pressure off the team when media expectations are simply absent? And if so, should we be happy with forever peaking in mid-table? Thanks, Tim.
2: I think there's a deeper point here that goes beyond Garth Crooks. Like, if you're kind of looking at how successful and relatively well-run clubs operate, so let's exclude a couple of the big guns from that, but they're not going to be what looking at Garth Crooks's team of the week and be like, oh, I should sign that guy. Uh, like, yeah. They are going to be looking at one performance, two data, three scout reports. It, it's going to be far deeper and more cohesive than that. I
0: think, though, what he says later is like the media expectations say about, is a
2: bit more... About Marco, I actually think maybe hmm. this is the most important point. Like, as Marco Silva continues to go under the radar, that one's a little bit different because the clubs that are smart enough that should be appointing Marco Silva... Probably wouldn't be in terms of where they sit in the food chain and what their fan base is expect from a new manager. Our big problem, I think, would come in a, in the kind of mid-space. Like, if a Tottenham were re-looking for a manager next summer, I'd be a bit concerned. But I don't think Angie's going anywhere, so that one's fine. They're the, you know, I, I'm not hugely worried about like a, a Liverpool or, you know, a Manchester United poaching a Marco Silva, because I think that that in itself would cause uproar within their fan base. And that's where the media, maybe turn off, I suppose, is actually quite useful. Because Mm. I think at the weekend, you know, I talked about this earlier, Marco Silva showed as a manager, he was able to adapt to a situation where he was lacking a couple of his best players and put together a cohesive game plan. Eric Ten Hag just didn't. Now, one of those managers is lauded as and look, I like Ten Hag, this isn't a personal attack on him, but I think he struggles in certain situations, and this is one of them. He's not particularly adaptable or flexible. And when therefore everything falls apart, everything can fall apart. I don't think you ever would get that with a Marco Silva because he's able to react to situations and think about plans that allow him to to alter his situations in in different ways.
1: Mm, I think that I think Jack's right. I think for managers it's that's where the media can play a part because it can shape the thinking of what is a good appointment, how is it going to be received, and that kind of thing. So maybe that hinders Marco Silva, helps Fulham. Um, and, you know, if you, <laughs> I'm just, just bringing him up because I've just got, I was just uh, updating my list of sort of firsts that's been, that have happened under, under Silva. So obviously it's the first win over United since 2003. And that goes for, uh, I mean, I, do you want me to go for, I won't go, maybe it's for another podcast, we go for him, but there's been so many. You know most Premier League wins, most Premier League goals last season, most away wins, first victory over Arsenal since 2012, first title for 20 years, um, most goals in the league season since 1932. This is just the Fulham side of things. So rather than sort of in the league, it's just those kind of things don't really sort of get, won't get the same sort of coverage, I think, and that may shape opinion. Maybe. And the other thing that came to mind when you brought that up was uh, refereeing, uh, and I think you know I think Fulham fans and we'll we'll just we'll look at the scrutiny that some decisions get that I think the bigger clubs will because there's just more eyes on it and there's more interest in it um i mean i mean even even the point about um you know new referees being appointed at fulham which has happened a few times a season yeah. and you just think well that's fine that's you know it's a compliment that in a way that they feel like it's a good place to go but it's also is that not a competitive issue like um that you're you're not having the experienced ones doing certain games, I don't want to go too much into that, but I think that's where it maybe can 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 twist it. But it's an interesting interesting question because there's lots of layers to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. actually, my next question um, relates to refereeing, um, so I'll come on to that now from Daniel Slade. Uh he did send this just before the United game but it's still relevant to read now. Hi Fulhamish crew, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Kaching. Love um it. after Villa on Saturday I felt compelled to email and ask your opinion on how well you feel referees are doing clamping down on time wasting. I realize all clubs do it including our own but having watched Aston Villa do it for the entire second half and the referee failed to penalize them, I was amazed that only 5 minutes were added on and then furious when the ball was in play for only 57 seconds. Of those five minutes, with the referee inexplicably blowing up, pretty much bang on ninety-five minutes. Surely the game as a whole deserves better than this. Dan from Tombridge, I know you guys talked about it on that podcast that you did. I mean, we didn't discuss it though last week. The uh, the extra time and how pe- how fuming people were. I was fuming. Everyone was fuming with that extra time. Yeah. I generally feel like it's been better the amount of time added on this. I think it's genuinely improved the game that like we now get eight nine minutes added on. But, it I mean, that game was weird that they failed to clamp down on it, but Fulham were just as guilty of our own demise in that match.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it started better, I think. We, we've we seen a drop-off from it since. And, and look, it relates back to the old point. You're always going to get different... So United score an 88th minute equaliser, nine minutes added on. They're ahead the week before, four minutes added on. And now, I'm not saying that those two games are exactly the same, but they're Chin definitely... Four. But there definitely were. I've got above me. Um, But there definitely wasn't a five-minute disparity in the in the two games in terms of what happened. So um, it came back to bite them. It came back to bite them. So like in this case, it's not. You know, it's it's another one where. And you talk about big decisions, right? If Fulham and if Harry Maguire wasn't sent off, and look, wherever you sit on that challenge, that's fine. But I I think it's a red card. Hmm. Now Fulham win the game, so it's not that big a deal. If United, if there was a Fulham player that didn't get sent off for the same challenge and United lost the game 2-1, we wouldn't have heard anything else for the last few weeks. Now, United are a bigger club than Fulham. None of us are kidding ourselves here. We're not suggesting that, you know, the twos are given equal media representation. And that was also fine because you have to play to an audience. You have to understand, you know, who wants what, clicks, et cetera, listens, fine. But. There is a sense, you'll be like, well, hang on, is it not about getting it right? And I saw a tweet the other day, which I think it was about the Champions League rather than the, you know, rather than the Premier League. But the point, same point stands. And it was basically like the dark heart, the truth of all these debates about VAR and decisions, et cetera, is that no one actually wants, as fans, the decisions to be right. They just want the decisions to be the ones that their team wants. Like ultimately, that's what you want. You want Fulham to get the right decisions because that's how we feel about things. Because we're football fans, and we want our team to do as best as possible. And then when it doesn't go our way, we cover up. But all we want is fairness. Like no, we don't. We won't be talking a moment about it if those things happen. And and that's why with the Villa time wasting bit a little bit, like Fulham weren't particularly time-wasty at United, but we definitely weren't as quick to balls as we could have been, et cetera. It comes back to bite Man United. If they score late, that comes back to bite us, right? It's it's a different thing, but I'm not going to be mad and mad about Villa. I thought the five minutes and the way that it was handled was bad, but equally, you can lead to your own demise in that regard. And if Adama had scored the equaliser... And Villa would have been fuming about the fact that those five minutes might have been cut short, and, and mm. that's where it all comes back to. It's just about wanting what's best for us, and I appreciate it because I am a Fulham fan. But it's not to say that every every case is the same.
1: I think the um, the, the 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 Villa uh, officiating—I can't remember his name now, the young lad, um, Lewis. But that comes Lewis Smith, wasn't it, Lewis Smith? Yeah. Um, but that, I think that comes back comes back to my. Point of the previous question, that just felt like an experience to me. Those last yeah. five ten minutes of the game, yeah. uh, different intensity of game. First time you, you you're experiencing it, and I think that just it just happened. Um, I, I think the rest of the game, actually did kind of well compared to some of the the other new referees we've had. Um, but it's um, yeah, and that's that's where it comes back to. It's like well, you you've got to give referees a you've got to blood them you get to, to improve the the pool, um, but. You know, if you keep giving them to the same team, I think it's <laughs>
2: they can't all be bloody yes, at no, cuts. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, what I
1: mean. You know, like, give I mean. some
2: of them to Brighton. <laughs> like there are other grounds where you can go, and they're not going to get all that much stick. It's probably fine.
0: Yeah, I just also don't really see why. Yeah, it, it did just feel a little bit easy for the Premier League just to be constantly like a Fulham, a Fulham, a Fulham. And there is an element of they do like quite tactically choose where referees go, not just based on where they're from and stuff. But I thought it was interesting that Chris Kavanagh is the VAR for this weekend's game against Brighton. Obviously, Chris Kavanagh, the referee at Old Trafford. Um, Chris Kavanagh hasn't refed a Fulham game since the Metro incident, yeah. which to me can't be a coincidence. No, no, no. no. Absolutely not. It won't be.
1: But also, you're trying to get, and it's also the, that's a the sensible thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, like, that's
2: absolutely fine. Like, and but also, there has to come a point. You can't keep Chris Kavanagh away from Fulham games forever. Like, yeah, much no. as we might like that, like we, at some point, you just got to be like, well, on we go. Yeah. So it is what it is
0: one more email from Michael Heatley uh, who is again hey, Michael. Yeah, uh, his subject is yes I it's Drew's dad again um, <laughs> he emailed two weeks ago about corners and he now says having stirred up a debate about corners last time and now banging on about throw-ins firstly after Robinson's disastrous effort Villa do we need a throw-in coach yep. so many seem to go up the line and we lose possession so I understand why he tried an alternative maybe we need to go back to the drawing board he then says also have you noticed how many th- throws by both sides are unpenalised foul throws oh my god it's like having my own dad Uh, not taking the ball over your head having both feet on the ground i've even seen jumping rant over next week set pieces michael
2: (laughs) my dad when it uh, comes to fulham we have two seasons between the three of us he comes regularly when my brother isn't there and i've never seen anybody shout about foul throws what foul throw ref i was like that they haven't given a foul throw in a game for like years (laughs) i mean they're both 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 michael and my father are correct right like we're not they you are supposed to abide by the rules but also like the referee isn't supposed to have the ball in his hands for more than six like they're sort of rules but they're sort of not like it's kind of fine he makes a bang a bang spot on point
0: though that we need a throw-in coach we're so bad at throw-ins like really bad at them are we that bad? Normally we just throw it to Tom Kearney who passes it back to the fullback. No, but like then we get throwings in something. attacking areas and do absolute nada with them. Like Gary you know
2: Goles from many you know goals Brentford score from throw-ins. Like, and when Liverpool had Thomas Grunermark, like, the amount that you can squeeze out of the small drops when you're a club trying to punch upwards is incredible. I think that. You, it shouldn't be your entire personality, and I am looking at those dads, dads down the road that you know. Oh, we have a throwing coach. Your throwing coach says Matthias Jensen, leng it long. Like that's that's not throwing coaching. But when you do have a strategy, like you can make the most out of loads of different things, and I think that's important. And as a side who are now two years where we'll finish almost certainly mid table. But far enough back from the European places, they'd be like, there's a step up to get there. I'm like, why would we not be trying to squeeze every single last drop out of the situations in games that you can plan for? Set-piece coaches, throw-in coaches. I, I think all of this is massive. How do we know that we don't have a throw-in coach? That is true. Well, if we, if they,
0: if <laughs> well, we do, okay. if we do,
2: <laughs> I, we absolutely live it. So there, there's that. But yeah.
0: I mean, it's just this always thing that, like, Brentford have all these coaches. Do we know, Peter, that we don't have someone that's pretty good at throwing coaches? I guess that's not the kind of detail that any of us really get given.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a specific single role throwing coach, as far as I'm aware. But I'm happy to be corrected on that. I'm I'm pretty sure that's not right.
0: Yeah. I'd like to see that on Indeed. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Maybe you should apply for it, Jack. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know very much about throw-ins, apart from I know that Fulham aren't very good at them. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. So, Fulham hire Rory DeLapp, Honestly, yeah, well, I think this is it. We're, <laughs> no one, no one's had a... We can't remember the last time we had real long throws. I remember John Arnaresi used to think he was really good at them, and then he'd throw it, he'd like, take the big run up, he'd throw it, and it would get to sort of the edge of the area. He'd <laughs> be like, what are you
0: doing? <laughs> Stop thinking you've got a cannon there when you're just throwing to the edge of the area. Mad man. Do we have anyone for a long throw? Not really. I mean, Anthony Robinson. Actually,
1: sometimes late in the game, Anthony, Anthony Robinson. Anthony Robinson,
0: yeah,
2: has a, has a bit of a, a slingshot on him. Yeah. It's not like a dilap one though, that's causing absolute No, chaos. he still needs a flick on, but he can get it, you know, halfway between the edge of the box and the six yard box. That's a bit, that's
1: There's decent. not enough
2: space for a run up
1: though, is there? Between uh, the
0: touchline and the terrace. I don't yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, well, it needs a unique uh, throw in coach who can. Well, train what if we start doing those ones, know, where
2: someone like stands in front, you throw it off their back and uh, like. <laughs> <laughs> and it drops down to your feet and off you go. Like, bosh.
0: I, n- I never forget when I saw that uh, one, which I think is fully legal, where someone went on their knees to take a throw in. Yeah. And it is a legal way of doing it. I mean, yeah. it looks weird. So is the flip. The flip's also legal. If you can get the run
2: up, the flip is legal. Like the you Ara- do the is...
0: Iranian player in the World Cup who got it wrong.
2: Yeah, well, that, that was bad. But if you can do it, the flip is completely legal. Anthony Robinson can definitely flip. Let's get him doing that late in games. Be unbelievable.
0: I want Anthony Robinson flip throw to Rodrigo Moon's bicycle kick. One day the ultimate oh, yes. goal. Oh,
2: well, this is it. We may as well just finish football at that point, right? I like, just cancel it. It's
0: done. We've won. So <laughs> We've won. Fulham <Will laughs> won football over CLA. Trophies see. in cabinet. Rodrigo Moon is scored a bicycle kick off a flip throw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Done. See you later. Uh Right. Final thing for the pod today is a thistle kick. Uh, catch on. This is from Andy Stevens. He titles it, This Will Definitely Catch On. Confident from Andy. <laughs> wow, big stuff. <laughs> Says, Hi Fulhamish, we need songs for our strikers. It's been too long since Him uh, Who Must Not Be Named left, and it's time we moved on. Raul is still our best hope. Um, <laughs> He literally wrote this the other day as well. I don't know why he's not saying. even old. Um, and we need something to instantly sing when he scores or more likely narrowly missed with a Rabona. He's Mexican. Let's embrace it. Tequila is gone. The Lost uh, Lambas classic, Bambaleo, is still available. I thought about lyrics at, about uh, his head injury and not scoring, but thoughts just shouting ole ole is more fun. So I've kept it simple and sung this in my car. So this is from Andy. Jimenez. Hey, yes. hey, yes. Jimenez. <laughs> Olé, 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 Jiménez, <laughs>
2: Jiménez, Jiménez, olé, 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 oh, Jiménez. Great voice, Style. Andy. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, no, serious. That was back serious. Um, it seemed to get a bit lost. The syllable police is going to go, it's just going <laughs> to happen. It's just going to happen. I have to send the syllable police round. I'm afraid <laughs> we can't be having an extra syllable in him or him um, that That's unfortunately Alex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do think um, Bambaleo is not a bad tune. Maybe Bambaleo be- is an unbelievable if you can make it
2: work. It's a really really good football tune. But <laughs> that ain't it.
1: <laughs> um, Peter, your thoughts? It started well. Um, I, I just the LA's just it didn't it didn't work for me. It was a bit, it's a bit too jarring. Yeah, back to the
0: drawing boards, Andy. But quite like
1: uh, the himonaeas. I just I can't imagine the <laughs> hammy end ever doing that.
0: Himonaeas. <laughs> I mean, there's
1: it's a bit of creative
2: license. Look, I, I'll give Andy this: is it's a good go, and I do like the attempt at trying to get something like last week, where we had something that will actually, it could actually catch on. So, props to Andy for that.
0: I, I think just, you just need syllable, to, it needed-
2: my syllable stuff is going well I'm afraid I just can't like I can't, I can't I just can't endorse it I can't endorse it
0: All right that'll do for the podcast today thank you ever so much for listening being a lot of fun great to have Peter back uh Peter thank you for coming in no worries. Thanks for having me. And Jack, thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. Uh, the pod will be back uh, Sunday, Monday, sometime, looking back at the Brighton game. And we'll be back with the Thursday club this time next week. So um, have a good weekend. Whatever you do, if you're heading to the cottage, enjoy. If you're watching from wherever you are around the world, enjoy it too. Come on, you whites. You whites. Bye.